Security staff at the Royal Jubilee Hospital in Victoria seems to be leaving patients against their will at a local bus stop. Casualties in a plane crash that was heading to a diamond mine near Fort Smith. A class action is green-lighted against Quebec for the horrific conditions that led to mass deaths in the province's long-term care facilities from COVID. A federal judge says that the use of the Emergencies Act was not constitutional and the IDF loses 21 soldiers after a building they booby-trapped collapses on them. Good morning. It's Wednesday, January 24th. I'm Nora. Here are your headlines. We start this morning in Victoria. Czech News' Ali Herrera is reporting that the Royal Jubilee Hospital is allegedly leaving patients at a bus stop. The allegations are being made by Juliana Nielsen, a resident who lives nearby the stop. She says that she's seen, quote unquote, several instances of people being brought there by hospital security and that, quote, a lot of people appear to be in medical distress, unquote. Sometimes the distress is loud enough to wake her up, quote, with people begging for help and crying at the bus stop, unquote. And it's common. Nielsen says that she says this at least two times a week on average. On Sunday night, she caught four security guards on camera carrying a woman to the bus stop who was, quote, crying and begging for help, unquote, said Nielsen. The woman at the stop stayed there and Nielsen went to talk to her. She has no address and was experiencing chest pains. Paramedics came to get her after an hour or so. Nielsen was encouraged to speak out about what she's seen when she saw that people had alleged the same thing was happening at the Vancouver General Hospital. Island Health explained this by encouraging people to, quote, not draw conclusions, unquote. Marco Pelhian said this when Czech asked why a patient would be escorted to a bus stop. Quote, our security officers, they may assist a patient who's in need of assistance of any type. They may also get involved if that patient need warrants it, either from a safety risk to other patients within the department or the hospital or a safety risk to staff, unquote. The Ministry of Health didn't comment when Czech asked. Look, this is obviously horrifying and it's sad, but it's also a very concrete example of how social services view the most marginalized people. No one should be escorted to a bus stop if they have nowhere to go, and certainly not if they're in distress. Like, what does the system think is going to happen to them? They'll just go away? Quietly die? It's horrifying, and it's cyclical, and unless we deal with the root issues, this stuff is going to get worse. Now to the fake border between Alberta and the Northwest Territories, where a plane that was heading to the Diavik mine has crashed. It happened near Fort Smith. The Canadian press is reporting that the news was confirmed by the owners of Diavik mine, which is Rio Tinto. The Northwest Territories Coroner Service said that people have died. The plane was a British aerospace jet stream operated by Northwestern Air Lease. The plane can carry 19 people. While the Canadian press reports that they aren't sure how many people were on board, earlier reports from CKLB Radio said that 10 people had died and one survivor was seriously burned. That story was updated to remove all of those specifics, and so all we know as of this morning is that there were casualties. Air Force, the RCMP, and the Canadian Rangers were all involved in rescue and recovery. Rangers parachuted into the area, and locals at Fort Smith were told to stay away from the crash site. The local health centre, quote, activated its mass casualty protocol, unquote. 
Next, a class action lawsuit has been approved in Quebec against the province's public long-term care facilities, or CHSLDs. The Journal de Québec's Hugo Duchesne and Olivier Fauché report that the action will seek to demonstrate that the hundreds and hundreds of deaths that happened within these facilities were the results of gross negligence. Residents and families of victims from within 118 CHSL days in the province are part of the class. The lawyer behind the action is Patrick Martin Menard. He thinks that there are at least 10,000 people who will be impacted by the class action, though it'll be very difficult to identify all of the people who are close to all of the victims. The next step will be to demonstrate what the amount of money is a fair representation of what's been lost. Duchesne and Fauché note that it's possible that this will be settled out of court with the government. Now to national news. A challenge to the federal government's use of the Emergencies Act to stop the trucker convoy in 2022 in Ottawa has been successful. CBC's Catherine Tunney reports that as of 12.49 Eastern Time yesterday, the decision was, quote, already turning into a divisive decision, unquote. And I feel like we got to stop there right off the bat. Obviously, people will fall on either side of a decision like this. It was a very big and controversial decision, and here the government's decision has just been overturned by the court. But what use is it for Tunney to already mention in sentence two of the report that the decision is divisive? Is it the CBC's job to question the decision of the judge right off the bat in their reporting? The feds already said they would plan to appeal, so maybe Tunney is just holding water for that appeal. Anyway, she quotes Richard Mosley, who's the federal court justice, who wrote that the use of the act, quote, does not bear the hallmarks of reasonableness, justification, transparency and intelligibility, unquote, and that there was, quote, no national emergency justifying the invocation of the Emergencies Act and the decision to do so was therefore unreasonable and ultra virus, unquote, or outside the scope of the law. Tunney reports that the occupation in Ottawa lasted for, quote, nearly a month, unquote, which is also a funny way of saying that it lasted for three weeks, which is actually how long it lasted for. You know, there is a difference here. But ultimately, there were other tools available to the feds to end the convoy. The test before mostly was whether or not the convoy posed a dangerous enough threat to meet the level of threat definition of CSIS, which is this that the threats, quote, include serious violence against persons or property, espionage, foreign interference, or an intent to overthrow the government by violence, unquote. Without meeting the threshold, the Emergencies Act was therefore inappropriate. But Tunney mentions that Mosley said that the actions of government didn't infringe on the right to peaceful assembly. And finally, yesterday saw the biggest loss of troops for Israel since their war on Gaza started. Jeremy Scahill in The Intercept reports that 21 soldiers died while they were trying to, quote, rig up two buildings in southern Gaza with mines to perform a controlled demolition, unquote. A Hamas-fired grenade hit an Israeli tank that caused multiple explosions leading to a structure collapse, and that is what killed the 21 IDF soldiers. Both the official statements of Israel and of the Qassam brigades tell a consistent story. Now, you've likely seen videos of these controlled explosions, notably Al-Isra University that was recently exploded, and video of it has circulated widely online. In this case, the IDF was rigging up explosives to level houses that Israel has deemed to be in a buffer zone between Gaza and Israel to quote-unquote protect a kibbutz close by. Now, it's necessary to note that there's also a wall between these things, and this is Gaza, so it's pretty clear that Israel is just clearing houses to 
push back the control of the territory they have in the Gaza Strip. Scalhill says that this admission seems to be the first time that Israel has said that it's destroying civilian infrastructure without a direct reason to do so related to Hamas or their infrastructure. Indeed, their ethnic cleansing campaign is being done to create more space. They are saying more safety, but what they mean is space. They want more space between them and the Palestinians. That is classic ethnic cleansing justification. Let us be clear. Israel said this in a statement, quote, the IDF systemically demolishes Palestinian buildings that enable surveillance and firing capabilities towards Israel, leading to the destruction of hundreds of buildings to date, unquote. Skyhill reports that except in very limited circumstances, blowing up civilian infrastructure is, quote, generally prohibited under international humanitarian law, unquote. Israel's defense minister, Yoav Gallant, promised to use these deaths politically, of course, quote, this is a war that will determine the future of Israel for decades to come. The loss of these soldiers is an imperative for achieving the goals of this war, unquote. I mean, Gallant is right. It is going to determine the future of Israel for decades to come. But I'm not sure he means in the way that the rest of the world can see what is happening. Those are your headlines for Wednesday, January 24th. I'm Nora. You're listening to this podcast at sandynora.com on the Real News Network podcast feed or anywhere you get your podcasts. Hope you have a wonderful Wednesday and I'll talk to you tomorrow.